You're listening to episode 11 of the Child Life On Call podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Child Life On Call podcast. When your child is sick, the whole world seems to stop in its tracks. Plans and priorities change, and your number one job becomes figuring out how to get your child well again. For some of us, rest, medications, and relaxation can do the trick. But for others, it takes more. It takes countless doctor appointments, invasive medical testing, therapy, surgeries, the list goes on, and then you still may not have all the answers or results you were hoping for. This podcast features parents of children that have an illness or medical condition and gives them a place to share their own journeys and experiences. We will talk about the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, but one thing seems to remain the same. Children are resilient and teach us more about ourselves and the world than we could ever imagine. Thank you so much for lending a listening ear and opening up your heart to these families and this podcast. I'm your host, Katie Taylor. He did tell us that day after looking at the colonoscopy that he knew for sure that Preston had Crohn's disease. I'd already kind of thought that that might be a possibility, but it still kind of hurt. Um, Preston was sick for for sure, and it was not something that was going to go away. It was not something I could fix. I think I was kind of in shock. Hello, podcast listeners. I am so, so, so glad to be with you today and can't wait to talk with you more about Susan, whose voice you just got to hear. As some of you may know who follow along with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, I have been a bit under the weather this past month and have had to take a break from podcasting. I sincerely appreciate all the kind words and everyone who reached out to me. I'm doing much better and I'm so glad to be well enough to get back to working on this very important podcast. Today's episode features Susan. She is a mother and a wife and their family lives just outside of Dallas, Texas. She describes what their experience has been like leading up to learning that her son, at just six years old, was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and what it has been like living with this diagnosis since that day. A journey I know many parents can relate to as ongoing, ever-changing, and unpredictable. I'm so honored she's willing to be so courageous in sharing their very private story and experiences with us today. Susan starts our conversation today by telling us about her family, where they're from, and the beginning of Preston's illness. My husband and I live in Frisco, Texas. We're originally from Midland. We had been living in Midland where all of our family lived for a while and moved to the Metroplex for his job. And although it was a hard move, we both really love it here now. Uh, We have twin boys who are eight years old and just loving life. They're the cutest. What are their names? Preston and Parker. Preston was twin A. He's the oldest, and he loves to tell people that he's 13 minutes older than his brother. (laughs) Parker is twin B, and he does not love to hear that he is 13 minutes younger. (laughs) That is hilarious. The boys have been healthy almost their whole lives. I had an awesome pregnancy, a great delivery, and when they were babies, they weren't really as sick as a lot of my friends' kids were, so we were overly blessed in that department. We had just really led a pretty charmed life as far as illness came. We'd had strep and hand, foot, and mouth like everyone goes through, but no serious illnesses to even consider. Um, Overall, just a great childhood. But when Preston was six years old, um, it was during the Christmas season, we were home visiting family, and he had been complaining that his tummy hurt. And everyone knows that kids' tummies hurt all the time if they don't want to do something or if they've eaten poorly. So we weren't really too alarmed, but it kind of persisted. And Preston um, kept telling us that it hurt really bad. And we thought, well, maybe he's constipated. And one day he came to us and said, Mom, there's blood in my poop. And I was like, let me see what you're talking about. He said, well, I flushed it. Sorry. I said, okay, well, the next time that that you go to the bathroom, please make sure that I see it if you see anything like that. Again, we really weren't that alarmed. We just figured he's probably constipated. Little kids go through that. It was the holidays, and we all eat really poorly during that time. So we didn't get too worried about it at all. But we knew if it kept on, we would do something about it. We got back to Frisco, and he continued to complain of stomach pain. 
kind of just started getting a little lethargic on us. And we started to notice blood in his stool. And so we called the pediatrician. She got him right in, did a little bit of a physical exam, talked to him, felt his body, and asked kind of what had been going on. We'd been keeping track of everything. So we let her know about all of the events preceding the visit. And she said, well, I'm really not too alarmed. It sounds like constipation, mom. And I said, you know, that's really what we were thinking, but it's been going on a while. And she said, let's try a cleanse. So she put him on gummy fiber and um, added a lot of fiber into his diet for about three days and said, if this, if this doesn't relieve the pain and clear the symptoms, let us know. Well, we started that protocol and a couple of days in, it was just getting worse and the amount of blood we were seeing increased and it became really scary for him and for us. So we called the doctor's office again and said, we really need to come see you. Things are not improving. And when we got there to see her, she did a physical exam again. And she said, I feel like this isn't even the same kid I saw a couple of days ago. I think we need to see a GI doctor. And I immediately knew she, her face looked alarmed. I was alarmed. He didn't even look like my child. He was very lethargic. And um, we just continued to kind of pray about it and hope for the best. And she said, I'm going to call in a favor. So she left the exam room and we were all kind of in shock, not sure what was going to happen. And she came back in and said, okay, I um, just spoke with Dr. Russo. He's a personal friend, and he is willing to see you guys tomorrow at 8 a.m. And as a mommy, I know how the medical system works, and getting an appointment with a specialist can be really difficult. The waits can be lengthy. And when she came back and said he was willing to see us the next morning, this was a, an evening appointment. So knowing that he felt that urgency we knew something big could be going on. So we left the office, came home, just told him not to be too concerned that we were going to see what was going on and get him the help he needed. And that's when we met Dr. Russo the next morning. That is really quick. They were personal friends, I guess. And she just was able to kind of text him and say, hey, this is going on. Yeah. And, you know, our experience with him since meeting him has been that way. He is highly responsive to his patients. He immediately made me feel at ease. My husband wasn't able to go to the first appointment and that was a scary place for me to be. I had to go to medical city, Dallas. So it was a little bit of a drive. Just being in the hospital atmosphere for the appointment was a little intimidating. And, um, he immediately made me feel like whatever we needed, he was there to help us through the journey. He's been amazing ever since. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's really, that's awesome that, that he was like that. I mean, cause it's just a game changer. It can kind of put you at ease and say, you know, whatever my son is going through, he's going to help us figure it out too. Like we're not alone. Exactly. And it's a scary enough road to walk as a mom. Um, but knowing that you have a partner in the medical field, <laughs> um, we knew he knew and he was a specialist. We knew he knew what he needed to do, but he cared for us personally as well. He'd check in on, on our well-being and make sure that mom and dad were doing okay and how's brother handling things. So he's been such an awesome partner in our journey. Oh, that's so great. Um, do you have to go to Medical City to see him for all of his appointments? So he works in the Medical City system. He has offices in Frisco, Plano, and Dallas. And it kind of just depends on timing, where he is and what we have going on. We try to see him in Frisco, but sometimes we have to see him in Plano or Dallas. It just kind of depends on the issues. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> that, first, that first time he was going to be in Dallas and he wanted us there, so we were there. Okay. Yeah. Wherever you are, we will go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Next, Susan gives their detailed experience of that first visit and the news of the diagnosis. The next morning, we went to Medical City Dallas for his appointment and met Dr. Russo for the first time. He immediately made us feel at ease. He joked around with Preston a lot, which I find humor extremely important in my own life. But in the medical um, situations with kids, it 
it helped so much. It really relaxed Preston. He was definitely nervous, but Dr. Russo really put him at ease. He immediately um, did a physical exam, and I think it's important to me as a mom to note that every time my doctor sees my son and does a physical exam, he has to see him without all of his clothes on and look at his bottom. And that's a scary situation for a mom to put your child in that position with the world we live in. But he, every single time, talks to Preston before it happens and says, hey, buddy, you know, I need to look at your bottom today. Why is that okay? And Preston always says, because my mom is sitting right here. And for him to partner with us and keeping him safe in that way um, really relaxed me right away. So he did the exam and turned to me and said, Mom, I can tell you right now, this little guy is going through some stuff. Just from looking at the outside of his body, I can tell he's got some issues going on with his intestines. And so we probably need to get a really clear picture of what that's going to be. Um, and before I really tell you anything else, I'm going to tell you, I think he looks anemic. Um, I'm going to let you guys go home today, but we need to schedule an endoscopy and colonoscopy as soon as possible. And I, I wasn't prepared for that. I knew we were going to see a GI, but just hearing those words, you know, you associate colonoscopies with someone who's 50 and over. And I had never, it had never really occurred to me that he might need that done. Um, and so that kind of broke my heart a little, but I knew he wouldn't have ordered it if he didn't feel it was necessary. So um, we kind of left that day with knowing he needed more information and knowing that we were going to get it as soon as possible. So he quickly scheduled, I think it was either the next day or the day after that we were to go in for his scope. Then we, um, I came home, told my husband everything that was going on. Um, he asked me if my doctor had given me a possible diagnosis and, uh, I said, no, he, you know, he talked to me about a lot of things that could cause what we were seeing, but he wasn't comfortable with saying exactly what it was until he could get a clearer picture. Um, Preston during the whole thing was pretty tough about it. I mean, he was a little nervous and reserved. He didn't talk to the doctor a lot, but. He, overall, I kept asking him, did you like him? How'd you feel about it? And he kept saying, it was fine, mom. It's fine. I'm fine. He still continued to just be lethargic. Um, he looked white as a ghost. If you know our family, we're not exactly <laughs> tan people anyways. <laughs> but he was way, way white. And it was alarming to look at him and see the little rings under his eyes. Um it just, it didn't look like my son anymore. And so I knew something, his body was fighting something. So we kind of came home. We had to do, you know, the prep for a scope with him and um, drinking delicious concoctions and all of that jazz and um, head to the hospital again. So we kind of had a hot pass to medical city Dallas for a little short time there. Um, we knew going in, because he had to have a colonoscopy and an endoscopy, he would have to be sedated. And that was probably the hardest thing for me to get past, just knowing that he was going to have to go through all of that. Um, he did not know exactly what was going to happen. And I was a little bit nervous about how to communicate it to him. One of our rules um, with our kids about speaking to them about hard things is that we never want to give them too much information. Um, but we also always want to be honest. And so we kind of came home and my husband and I came up with a game plan about how we wanted to talk to him about what he was going to have done and how much we thought he really needed to know. And um, we kind of came up with what we thought was a consistent plan for how we would speak about it. And we included his brother in the conversation as well. We felt like he had gotten a lot of attention. Preston had gotten a lot of attention because of his illness. And Parker had started to kind of show some frustration and stubbornness that we hadn't been seeing. And I, I told my husband, I think he's starting to feel left out. And I don't want him to feel left out of the process. He's not just his brother. He's his twin. And so knowing that bond that they have, I felt it was important to include him in the whole deal. 
I just want to chime in here really quickly and mention this really important point that Susan brings up. As child life specialists and families who have a child with illness know, when one child is sick, the whole family is affected. That means parents, grandparents, but it also means siblings. Routines change, one child gets more attention, and sometimes parents have to be away from that well child more than they would like. So the fact that Susan, who is in the midst of this really heavy time, is able to understand the importance of including Parker is really remarkable. After Preston's physical exam with his GI kind of turning up suspicious, he ordered the scope, and um, that was the scariest part for me. Knowing he was going to be sedated and just what the procedure is for both of those, um, I was worried about pain. I was worried about, you know, just the invasiveness of it all. Um, But he ensured us that we would be with him every moment except for during the actual scope. We could be with him all the way through the prep in the room where he would be sedated. And then he would wake up with us at his bedside. So our doctor was very, very conscientious of how we felt and how he felt. The day um, we got there, they um, had a child life specialist come meet with Preston. That was wonderful. I think a lot of child life specialists, obviously, because I have a friend who's one, but also because our child life specialist followed us from this procedure and has been a part of our journey for quite a while since. Um, She was there for the day of the scope. She brought in a mask and let him play with it. She talked to him about how it would smell and how it would feel. She asked him what kinds of things he might want to have in there with him, what he would want to wake up to. She really helped prepare him for the parts of the procedure that he needed to know about. She told him a lot of the same things that I had told him, which was really reassuring. I felt like we had done our job as parents in preparing him. Um, We spoke with him about it and told him that the doctors would be basically taking a camera to look inside at his tummy and inside of his body to make sure that they knew which part of his body was sick and how they could fix it. We didn't really specifically go into where the scopes go (laughs) because I felt like it was just a little more than he necessarily needed to know. He didn't ask. And so we didn't offer. But the morning we get there, we talk to the child life, and then we get in and gown him up and put him on a bed. Um, The head nurse um, from that floor came over, and she started talking to him about what was going to happen. We had told him all along that we would be with him every step of the way and that he didn't need to worry. I said, when you go to sleep, I will be with you, and when you wake up, I will be with you. I kind of left out the part that I wouldn't be in the room after he went to sleep because I felt like he didn't need to know, but the head nurse informed him of that. And so then he started to get a little anxious and that made it really hard on my heart. Um, She had nothing but the best of intentions, but it was really tough to see him go from a place of everything's fine. Mom and dad are here. I have my animals and my blanket and everything to, uh uh-uh, you can't leave me. So they wheeled him into the room. We saw our doctor, the anesthesiologist, who I had also spoken with over the phone the night before. I cannot say enough good things about all of the medical professionals at Medical City Dallas. They are wonderful. Um, They were all in the room. They all spoke to us about everything that would happen, but Preston was still very, very anxious. He fought the the mask, and um, it just... It was hard on my heart. I stood there knowing that I I had to leave in a moment and I didn't want him to know I was going to have to leave. And so I held it together as long as I could. He finally went to sleep. The anesthesiologist really calmed me down and told me, this is very common. Please don't be alarmed. He's going to be fine. And you're going to be there when he wakes up. And we went out to the lobby and I literally fell apart. (laughs) My poor husband just had to pick up my pieces. (laughs) but the whole procedure was so quick. Um, and after it was over, they did exactly what they promised. They wheeled him out and I was able to be there when he woke up. Um, he really didn't know what was wrong. He didn't know where he was, but he wasn't in any pain. And once he really kind of came to, he was fine. Um, Dr. Russo came to see us really shortly after he had read the results and Preston was awake and showed us pictures and um, talked to us really specifically about what he saw. 
he's a really, he's a really cool doctor and was very thorough. Um, but he did tell us that day after looking at the colonoscopy that he knew for sure that Preston had Crohn's disease. I'd already kind of thought that that might be a possibility, but it still kind of hurt. Um, Preston was sick for, for sure. And it was not something that was going to go away. It was not something I could fix. And I think I was kind of in shock. He let us know um, exactly where the disease was kind of located. Crohn's disease is funny about that. It can be all sorts of places. And he talked to us about treatment options that he thought would be on the horizon for us. He did tell us that day that we wouldn't go into complete detail. We would set up another appointment and get really down to the nitty gritty about it. But he let us kind of know what to be thinking of and what to be looking for. Gave us websites to look at that were responsible places to seek information, <laughs> um, not just to Google it. <laughs> and um, gave us kind of a little bit of peace of mind that even though it wasn't a clean bill of health like we had hoped, we had a game plan. What happened? So this all happened, I guess, in the post-anesthesia unit, or did you guys kind of get to go with him and talk about it in a different room, or was this a follow-up visit? It was all, all of this happened in the post-anesthesia room. Um, it happened fast. Yeah. <laughs> that, that whole morning was, oh, I mean, we were back home by noon that day, I think. It was a very quick you know, we came in days after, you know, kind of knowing we had an issue and went to the hospital that morning for a scope and came out with a diagnosis and really a prognosis as well. Um, even though it wasn't super specific, we knew a lot just from that one appointment. Right. Will you um, tell us kind of what Crohn's disease is and what the prognosis are like, what some of the misconceptions are with Crohn's disease, because it's, it's common and that people, I think, have heard of it, but um, it, it is pretty specific in, I guess, how each person goes through it. So Preston um, will have Crohn's disease his whole life. It's a chronic illness. Um, Crohn's disease affects the intestines, and it falls under the umbrella of inflammatory bowel disease. It, it can affect different parts of the intestines. It causes stomach pain, diarrhea, bloody stool, weakness, weight loss, and pain in the joints. Um, it will go through cycles of remission and flares due to treatment. Um, knowing all of those things about Crohn's disease, it's different for every single person who has it. It's a really difficult diagnosis because my doctor can look at my son and say, this is what we need to do. And he can look at another patient and say, this is what we need to do. And they're two totally different things. Um, the hardest part of hearing what Preston had was Dr. Russo looked at me that day and said, I don't think Preston knows how good he can feel. We're going to get in there. And I felt like such a failure that day. I had looked back after the diagnosis at all of these little things that had been happening in his life. His teeth were kind of soft. Um, he had complained about his legs hurting for years. We'd had x-rays done. We'd had all sorts of exams and nothing had ever come up as any kind of concern. Just little things kind of started to make sense. Like he's probably been fighting for fighting with this disease for a while now. Um, for Preston, it, it looks like bloody stool. It looks like stomach pain and joint pain, especially in his legs. He complains his legs hurt every time he has a flare. Um, during a flare, he sometimes needs to go potty 20 times a day. He'll get up in the middle of the night. Sometimes he can't make it to the bathroom fast enough. He just feels bad. He can't eat normal foods um, during a flare. Um, he'll eat broth, he'll eat potatoes, just the brat diet, <laughs> um, anything bland and neutral. Um, that's, that's what we feed him during these times. Um, but he's not always having a flare. When we started the, the treatment, he had been having a flare for months 
we finally received our diagnosis in February um, of 2016. And by the summer of that year, uh, he had already started to have cycles of flares more frequently. So during the summer, um, our doctor recommended that we start to consider IV infusions for him. In the beginning, we just treated with um, methotrexate. He just took a pill every day, which is also a fun adventure to teach a seven-year-old how to swallow a pill when we've had liquid medicine for so long. <laughs> he was a champ about all of it. Um, but when we got to the point he had just been consistently having flares, our doctor said, we've got to try something a, a little harder hitting. We have no um, explanation of why he develops this disease. Um, they keep telling us it could be genetic or it could be environmental factors. And for us, neither of those are very definitive. I'm adopted. I have no family medical history. So we really only know half of the piece of the genetic puzzle in our family. And environmental factors is just an unknown cloud. <laughs> um, that could be so many things. and. I know that doctors would love to narrow it down if they could. They really can't. Um, it's pretty rare, though, for a child this young. He was six when we found it. Um, it's, it's pretty rare for them to have it show up this early. It oftentimes shows up in college, um, late teens, early 20s. It's attributed, um, flares are attributed to stress. So it's kind of hard to imagine what a six-year-old could have been stressed about. But we had been through moves. We had the loss of a pet, things that would stress an adult out in some ways, obviously can stress a child out as well. Um, they don't cause the disease, but they can cause the flare. According to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation's website, Crohn'sColitisFoundation.org, Crohn's is most prevalent among adolescents and young adults between the ages of 15 and 35. Like Susan said, Preston was diagnosed at a very young age, which can bring on its own unique set of challenges, like learning how to swallow a pill and getting your child to eat a specific diet or get rid of some of their favorite foods. Next, Susan walks us through what her doctor said their treatment and care plan would look like when Preston has a flare-up. So when we started this journey, we sat down with the doctor and he showed us kind of a visual map of what treatment for Crohn's disease looks like. Because it can be in different places and people respond differently, they have all sorts of different ideas about what, where to start and what to do. Um, we initially assumed that diet would be a huge part of our plan. And it is a part of our plan, but our doctor told us right away that the only nutritional way to get into remission that has been proven was a one-source diet. So he would have had to be on a feeding tube um, for like six weeks to prove that he could get into remission from just a dietary change. He wasn't even willing to consider that. He was six years old and he wasn't about to put him in that situation if he didn't have to. Um, there sometimes antibiotics that can be given. Um, it's very common for people with Crohn's to fight with C. diff. And so sometimes they go on really heavy rounds of antibiotics to decrease a flare. Um, methotrexate pill that often helps. We started there. He said, I just want to start here with iron supplements, with this medication, and let's see how he responds. So we started with those things. Preston takes probiotics every morning when he wakes up, an iron supplement every morning when he wakes up. He takes vitamins, just a multivitamin, and his methotrexate. Did I say that? <laughs> Sorry. It's hard to go through all of these pills in your head, and it's like that every day for us as well. After weeks, we were just not seeing any improvement. We met with Tim about a month later. He said, I know it hasn't changed a lot, but it has changed. Blood work is looking better. He's definitely not anemic. So we're getting somewhere with the iron. Let's continue to try this. Our doctor's awesome. He is a path of least resistance kind of guy. And that was really how we wanted to tackle it. We wanted to try to make good food changes. We wanted to try 
you know, the, the least amount of medication we had to give to our child. And he let us do that. He really um, talked to us about how other doctors in his practice might have approached it differently. And I felt like I trusted him from the beginning of our journey. And so we trusted him through this part as well. When we had been through months and months and not seen enough relief, that's when we started to talk about IV infusions. And so Preston goes to the hospital um, every six to eight weeks to get an IV infusion of Remicade. And his first infusion, I would say within 48 hours, his symptoms had completely disappeared. It was the most celebratory I think I've ever felt in my life <laughs> um, because I felt like we were getting somewhere. He felt better. You could see it in his eyes. Um, I failed to mention something before this. He had to take um, a round of steroids and he had been on steroids for quite some time. We watched him go from a skinny as a rail little seven-year-old to a swollen puffy little boy and his friends had commented he commented family members had commented he just didn't even look like the same person so when we got the Remicade and it actually decreased his symptoms we were so happy it meant we could stop the steroids eventually and um, we so we continued on the Remicade path we're still getting Remicade infusions we're still taking methotrexate but no longer on steroids um, his diet is something we think about all the time. We know that we're not going to heal the disease with his diet from what our doctor has, has seen in the past. But we also know that there are things that we eat that can just hurt him. Um, and that's kind of a weird path too. every person I know that has Crohn's disease. Now um, they all have different trigger foods. So we're still kind of feeling it out on the journey. He got on the pathway with Remicade to where he was getting infusions every eight weeks, which was awesome. That's the recommended timetable. And with, after I would say four or five infusions on that schedule, we started to see him not making it as long. So we had been decreased to a six week schedule. Um, we just had one in June at the beginning of June and this week, we've noticed he's starting to kind of show symptoms again. We're not close to our six weeks, so we'll see what that means for him. Um, I think the important thing to know about Crohn's disease treatment is that it is constantly changing. There's always something to throw a wrench in the plan, either a high-stress situation in life, weeks of vacation and not eating well, whatever it may be. We kind of live day-to-day -day with this disease, just doing the best that we can. Well, it sounds like you're doing an incredible job. And I mean, just from having a toddler and thinking about what they eat and, you know, you can really get by with a lot of stuff, but to have your, your son, like the way he feels, the way he can interact with his own life, just being so dependent on food and treatment just must be incredibly stressful. It is stressful. I mean, Preston has never been a really good eater anyways. He is a chicken nuggets and french fries kid. And one of the first things we had to get rid of was fried foods. He gets to have fried foods very occasionally because he's a child and our doctor agrees that he has got to have some normalcy in life. He can't just always be um, abstaining from everything. So we, we allow him treats. But it's definitely been interesting. And there's the whole conversation of how come Parker can have it. We try to be really careful that we don't take everything that Preston can't eat away from Parker. But there are certain things. Our doctor told us immediately, the first thing he said was he cannot ever eat popcorn again. And mm. that would have been a life sentence for me. That is one of my favorite foods. <laughs> <laughs> I starve to death. That's my dinner some nights, let's be real. And I was really sad for him. Preston had never been a popcorn eater. He was completely indifferent about the situation. 
but we came home and we talked about our dietary needs as a family and how they might change with this. And I told Parker, I think it would be really respectful of us to consider his feelings and not have popcorn at home anymore. If you and I would like to go have it sometime, go to a movie and have an afternoon and have some when he's not with us, I think that's great. But we need to really consider that if this is a life change he has to make, we need to respect that for him. So little things like that that you would never expect have kind of made a big impact on us. Sure. And how did Parker handle that news? Um, at first, he was extremely resistant. <laughs> As you can imagine, he is just like me. He really loves to eat popcorn. He would go through a whole bag of microwave popcorn in a day if I'd let him. Um, he was a little bit resistant at first. But I sat him down one night and I said, if I had to take that away from you because of your health and your brother ate it in front of you, how would you feel? And he said, oh, man, that would feel horrible. I would feel like he just didn't even care about me at all. And I said, and so I think it would be really, really nice of us to support him in this way. He said, I think you're right. And he's been so good. There have been times when we've been out. We went to Disney World for Thanksgiving last year, and there was like popcorn right there. I could smell it. I could touch it. <laughs> I wanted it so bad. And I said, Parker, maybe we should go get some popcorn and like go on a ride by ourselves. And he goes, Mom, how do you think Preston would feel? <laughs> oh, so when geez. it gets turned around on you, it doesn't feel quite the same. Um, <laughs> a little sobering, but thank God that he is all in. He is so compassionate and supportive. He's been a really great um, brother during the whole experience. How did you cope with the news of the diagnosis? And I guess, how did your other families, family members react and handle it as well? So in the very beginning of the diagnosis, I fell apart in private. I cried in my closet. I went into my bedroom and locked the door. Um, I cried out to God a lot. Um, you know, the typical why us, why him questions um, just kept popping up. I was really stressed, but I kept it all really close to me. And anytime someone wanted to talk about Preston or ask how he was doing, I always said, we are doing great. He is a trooper. Um, we're going to be fine. We've got great care. I tried to always speak positivity into the situation my other family members all responded kind of similarly um, to each other, not to me. Um, my mom's first response when I called and told her the diagnosis was, oh, my God, I'm so glad it's not cancer. And I know that all of us had those thoughts. You know, when you have something unusual happen, I feel like that's one of our greatest fears is the dreaded C word. I had no idea I should be concerned about another dreaded C word. Um, but we were all a little bit worried that it could be something like that. And hearing her say that out loud to me, it kind of felt like a slap in the face. Um, I didn't really want to hear that she was relieved. I wanted to hear that she was upset like I was. I wanted to hear that, you know, she hated that he was going to have this lifelong illness. She was trying so hard. Her intentions were so good. She wanted to let me know that, it could be worse. This is something that is treatable. And she said lots of things like that. This is something we can deal with. We can work with this. I know people who have this. In those early stages, all I wanted to do was kind of sit and mope and cry and fuss a little bit. And I didn't really feel like I had a place I could do it unless it was all on my own. I didn't feel safe to say, this really sucks. I hate it. And I want it to go away. And so I did a lot of that in quiet places. Um, my husband was an awesome support to me. He totally let me fall apart on his shoulder. Um, but we tried really hard to kind of keep it away from the kids that we were upset about it and um, stay positive and always talk about going forward, what things would look like and not looking back to, I wish this wasn't there. It kind of built on me after a while, though, trying to hold it together and be tough and be strong. And eventually, I kind of just went inside myself and closed off. I got very anxious, depressed, and just really wasn't my best self. Um, 
it kind of comes to a head at some point that you're hurting and he's hurting and watching your child hurt. I think as a parent, you know, when they hurt, then you feel it even bigger than when you hurt. It's such a strange phenomenon um, to watch someone that you love so much in pain. Um, and so it, it wore on me. I eventually went to my doctor and said, I don't think I'm doing very well. <laughs> and she said, well, that's okay. You don't have to be. This is not fun. This is a hard situation. Your child is young and he shouldn't have to face this. And so let's get you some help. And so I, in that moment, told her I was willing to do whatever it took. And she said, I really think we need to talk about antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication. I was working during the time and I just couldn't afford to fall apart. I needed somehow to stay together for them, for my family, for my, I'm a teacher. I needed to be fully present at school. And so I started reluctantly on antidepressants and it was such a good choice for me. Um, my doctor was with me every step of the way. Um, I'm currently weaning myself off of them. So um, I feel really good about the fact that I knew I needed it. I used it as long as I needed it. And we're all coping in a really healthy way now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'll be honest, there were nights where all I wanted to do was sit in my closet with a glass of wine and cry. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing it and talking about it because I feel like those are probably really normal feelings for someone who's going through what you're going through. So the fact that you had the courage to actually go and talk to your doctor about it and take the step further to help treat it and look at where it, look at where it's brought you. You know, I think a lot of times we can try to keep it to ourselves, but really, you know, seeking that advice that you may need, whether it's from a counselor or a doctor or whatever your choice is, can really can be a game changer. I agree. And I'll add to that, just being brave enough to say to someone, I'm not doing well, even if it's not your doctor, um, just friendships and family members. It took a lot of courage for me for some reason to look weak in front of those people. And when I have, whenever I finally did, all of them were like, seriously, we've been waiting for this moment. We've been waiting to see when you were going to tell us that, that things weren't great because none of us would feel great about this situation. We're here for you. We want to help you. I had so many different friends come around me in those moments and say, we will do anything. One night, I had a little Bible study group of girls that I'd been meeting with for a while and they knew what I was going through. They were there, you know, through the whole diagnosis and all of it. And one night, one of my friends showed up unannounced with a bag of just feel good stuff. I mean, bath stuff, gift cards, a bottle of wine, bracelets. If you know me, I'm a bracelet addict. I mean, it was like my love language right there all sorts of amazing treats, cards, notes, a little like scripture thing. It was just when I finally let down my guard enough to say, I'm not really doing that well, they showed up. So I think, I just hope that somebody will hear this and know it's okay to say, I'm not doing great right now. When your people know, they show up. But if you never tell them, it's hard for them to show up. And so I'm learning a lot of the times I'm learning this from Preston because he's the best advocate for himself. I'm learning to say, I need this. And you would be shocked at the people who will come alongside you when you go through these things. It's just really empowering to know being weak is completely normal. What would you tell a parent who is finding out that their child has Crohn's disease? What advice could you give them now that you guys are, I guess, a year and a half almost into this journey? You know, I keep going back to the fact that your doctor said he doesn't know how good he can feel. Do you feel like you're starting to see Preston become that little boy that you wanted him to be feeling well? 100%. Um, One of the things that's scary about Crohn's disease is that it can really affect the growth of pediatric patients. And so not only did we know that he didn't feel as good as he could, but we knew that he wasn't growing like he should. And that was scary for us. Um, Our doctor said right away, I want you to know one of my 
biggest priorities is that I want to make sure if God intended for him to be 5'11", I want him to be 5'11", not 5'10 and a half. We're going to do everything we can to make sure his growth is not affected and that he is as healthy as he can be in the face of this disease. And that was really reassuring. However, you never know what that's going to look like. We had seen his brother growing past him. They're twins and they fluctuate. One would be taller, one would be shorter for a while, and then it would switch. But it had gotten to a point where Preston was just staying smaller than Parker. And when we started the treatment, we had been kind of marching. We have a ruler in our house, like lots of people do, where we keep track of how they've grown. And when I really realized what was going on with him, I didn't even have the heart. We mark their height at the end of the year, every year. Um, at the first day of school and the last day of school so that we can keep track of how they've grown. And I couldn't even mark Preston in the same spot as Parker. I had to go to the other side of the ruler because it was so clear that he was not growing. And I just didn't want him to hurt from it. Looking back on it, I know he didn't really care. It was really for me. Um, But this year, I'm so pleased to say Preston has grown nearly three inches in the last year and a half. Shocking. But our treatment is working. And when I put that mark on the ruler this year, I'm sorry. When I put that mark on the ruler this year, it was so satisfying. Because you question yourself, are we making good choices for our child? It's one thing to make a treatment plan for yourself. It's totally a different thing when it's someone else's life. And we're putting medicine into his body, hoping that we're doing all the right things for him and seeing that visible, physical, tangible evidence of success was so fulfilling. So I think what I would say is find a doctor you really, really trust. And if you don't find someone else, keep looking. Um, our doctors are fabulous. Um, he, our pediatrician and our GI are just out of this world. Fabulous. They, we have their cell phone numbers. We can text them if we have an urgent need. They really care about my child and how he's doing. Um, find someone you trust. And when you decide to place your trust in them, really give it to them. I feel like we've done that and we've seen so much out of our child. He's playing, jumping on the trampoline, running around like a crazy person, like a eight-year-old kid should be. And for a while there, he was just not interested in those things. So seeing him heal, we do have flares. We do have times that it hurts. We have times that are harder. But overall, he is a happy kid and a much healthier kid than when we started. So there's hope. It's heartbreaking at times, but the further we go, the better we get at this and um, just teaming up with people that you can trust makes all the difference in the world. Are there any um, specific resources that you would recommend to parents who may be going through a similar situation? I guess the the kind of good Googling stuff that your (laughs) doctor gave you. (laughs) Good Googling stuff. Please don't just Google. Um, randomly. Um, Once you've kind of gotten a treatment plan, it helps to really research the drugs that that you're going to be using. So because we do Remicade, I um, really recommend Remicade's website. They have a section about pediatric Crohn's disease for children and teens. And that has a lot of really good information about how Crohn's disease is specifically a little bit different for kids. Um, Also, there's a website kidshealth.org, and it has a section on Crohn's disease. Um, I have recently found a Facebook group for pediatric Crohn's patients, and that just very recently um, has become a really good source of info. I find at times you have to be careful with these groups because sometimes people just like to play up the negative. They like to sit in pity city for a while, and I did that too. Um, I didn't do it on social media, (laughs) but some people will. So you have to really filter out what is helpful and what is hurtful. Um, But those, those few things helped me to really kind of understand what the disease was, 
and how it was going to look for a child. So stay away from Pity City. Stay away. Don't listen. My friend's dad always says, you can visit Pity City, but you can't move there. (laughs) You just can't. And every time I get like miserable and in a loop about something, I remind myself of that. Okay, I can have my moment, but it's time to move forward after some point. So um, I think be, be cautious. Also know that what you find online might not be what you experience with your own kids. Um, Preston's diagnosis, we immediately, of course, start Googling. And some of the stuff that we saw in there was horrific. I mean, you're going to see worst case scenarios. I have a best case scenario doctor. He always tries to let me know what the best case scenario is. He does not lie to me, but I think he kind of sees me the same way I see my kids. He only tells me what I have to know. And that's, that's our motto. We know what we know and we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes it's better to just trust the day to day, do what works and keep moving forward. I can't thank Susan enough for being so vulnerable and honest and courageous and sharing her story with all of us today. She is truly a remarkable human. And if you would like to get in touch with her, I will put her Instagram and Facebook on the show notes page and on Child Life on Call's social media pages. Make sure you're following along. I will also link to all of the great resources she mentioned, like Kids Health and the Remicade website, so that if you're looking for any specific or more information about Crohn's disease, you can find it there. If you would like to share your story, you can submit your information on childlifepodcast.com or email info at childlifepodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to Susan's episode today and make sure you're following along with this podcast on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so you know when the next episode will be available. Hope you have a great week.